Welcome to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring you weekly sermons that uplift your soul, strengthen your spirit, and praise the Lord. Whatever your reason for listening, we're grateful for you spending your time with us. May God open your heart to love and your ears to hear. Please remain standing as I read today's gospel. It comes from the book of Mark, chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child into his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. The word of God for the people of God. I usually don't walk through my method of preparation for my sermon, but I was struck that there are two sermons that I could preach today, one that I wanted to preach and one that I needed to preach, and rather than choosing, I'm going to do both. I'm just going to make them short, especially the one that I wanted to preach. I'm going to make it extremely short because all this talk about greatness and all this talk about youth, we've finally done it. We've made the Braves great again. There it is. That's, that's the sermon I wanted to preach. No. Oh, there's a popular bumper sticker out there that says, start seeing motorcycles. And I thought to myself, I didn't know I wasn't seeing motorcycles. And then I realized that's the point of the message. How do you begin to see something you don't know you were missing in the first place? In Mark's gospel, in the ninth chapter, we've come to a crossroads. God's kingdom is on the march, on the march to Jerusalem, but Jesus and the disciples have gone back to Galilee, which is Mark's coded language for base camp or headquarters, the place where it all began. Galilee means home, where significant family meetings are held and long-range plans are hammered out. When Jesus and his disciples go to Galilee to talk, you know something serious is afoot. Jesus gathers his disciples around a table to teach them about the kingdom of God, about how to recognize the kingdom of God, and about how to receive the kingdom of God. His teaching is revolutionary even for that day and time. But it's the same question that we ask ourselves throughout the course of human nature. How do we become great? And Jesus asks his quibbling disciples and their heads nod around the table. Okay, he says, let me show you the true meaning of greatness. And Jesus takes 
a small child and puts it in their midst and says, look at this. This is greatness. Whoever wants to be great must welcome the least of these. And whoever welcomes the children in my name welcomes me. Now, this follows the disciples' third instance in the last two chapters of just not getting it. Their mouths drop open, the chairs clatter to the floor, and there's stunned silence. Jesus is using the ultimate object lesson here by putting a child in their midst and calling the child great. And in an instant, everything the disciples thought they knew about Jesus and the meaning of faithfulness is flipped upside down. In our culture, we love children. We indulge their dreams in all possible ways. Our social conventions have exalted childhood as a privileged time of innocence, and we see children at times as our most prized possessions, but at our worst, we can live too vicariously through them, through our own hopes and aspirations. And then when things don't turn out the way that we would like to, but in the way that God has them turn out, we are shocked and our hearts are hardened because this is not the way that we set about to do things. Now compare that to the way a child was treated in Jesus' times when the child was a nobody, when the child was a non-person. Children would have never been hanging around the teacher and students and to insist that Jesus thrust or put this child in their midst and to say that this child has value, maybe even more value than the adults in the room, is inconceivable. But it wasn't that children were to be seen and not heard. They were to not even be seen. Their lives were non-existent and utterly invisible. And Jesus puts a child in their midst and says, whoever welcomes one of these welcomes me. And this child is not just a child. We never know this child's name or what they did or where they came from or how many skinned knees or lost teeth they had. But this child becomes us when we find ourselves feeling lost or invisible. In chapter 5, to the amazement of the crowds, Jesus brings back a nameless little girl from the dead. And then he casts out a demon from the Syrophoenician woman's daughter in chapter 7. Earlier in chapter 9, he heals a boy of an uncleaned spirit. Children who are not named are given healing through Christ's love and teaching. Think about this for a second. What do we know of Jesus' childhood? The Gospels tell us nothing about it. And that just goes to show you how little we know about children and how invisible they were if they didn't even bother to record Jesus' childhood. For Jesus to say, these children, one of these, the least of these, is welcome then surely Jesus is inviting us to think through a new way. If you want to encounter Jesus, you will find him in the disguise of someone who is otherwise invisible. 
In South Africa, there's a concept called Ubuntu, which means I see you. Now, when we greet one another, we say, how are you? And we'll say, I'm fine, when we know that we're not fine. We'll say, I'm all right, when we know that we're not all right. At least nine times out of ten, we're not. That one time, we might be, but it's a complete fabrication. I'm fine, you're fine, we're fine, let's go. But in South African culture, they greet one another with the words, Ubuntu, I see you, and I see you too. In other words, I recognize you as a human being. I see that you matter. I see that you are not invisible. I see that you too are created in the image of God. Craig Kocher was the assistant dean of Duke's chapel and recalls when a freshman came into his office two weeks after school started and said, I feel invisible here. He said, if I disappeared, I'm not sure anyone would even notice. The world can be a tough place to fit in and an easy place to feel invisible when it seems that everyone is competing to be greatest. Children, however, are not as competitive, at least not in the same way. It's a different story when you're out seeing who scored how many goals on the soccer field. But we're not competitive in the sense that the world's competitive because children see the world differently as we do. Someone once said they would rather have a child pray over them than a bishop any time. Who wouldn't want to have a child pray for us? Dear God, I thank you for this baby brother or sister, but what I really prayed for was a puppy. So genuine, so honest, so transparent, so faith-filled, and there's hope in these children's voices, and we need to create space to hear the voices of those who speak differently than us. Mr. Rogers is a great example because he was not just an advocate, he was a voice for children, not because he spoke to them, but he allowed them to speak for themselves. He had a genuine respect for the dignity of every child, and he knew that children are still developing, but he also knew that children were fully human, made in the image of God, deserving of our respect and care, rather than being seen as objects to be silenced and abused, even in the name of of the church. And that's a hard question for us to ask ourselves, where are children silenced and kept voiceless? And ask ourselves, do we silence children? Mr. Rogers didn't. When he met 14-year-old boy whose cerebral palsy left him sometimes unable to walk or talk, Mr. Rogers asked the boy to pray for him. And the boy was shocked because normally it was the other way around. People were praying for the boy. But no one had ever asked this 14-year-old child to pray for them. This boy said he would give it a try and pray for Mr. Rogers since he thought that Mr. Rogers must be close to God. And if Mr. Rogers liked him, it must be okay. And when Mr. Rogers was complimented on doing this and improving the boy's self-esteem, he responded this way, I didn't ask him for his prayers for him. I asked for me. I asked him because I think that anyone who has gone through challenges like that must be very close to God. I asked him because I wanted his intercession. 
A child is part of this biblical story, and children may be part of your story and may be part of your lives, but do the children have a voice? Do they speak? Are they heard? Jesus says, whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. But if they come, will we listen to them? It is difficult to hear the voice of children. It's difficult to hear the voice of children at 5.30 in the morning. It's difficult to hear the voice of children at 5.30 in the evening when it's time for supper and all you're trying to do is get food on the table. It's hard to hear the voice of children when their complaints sound so much harder than ours, when you know it's easily fixable. But to hear the voice of children is to allow Christ to speak to us if we would listen. Malala Yousafzai was daughter, the daughter of a teacher and was 10 years old in 2007 when the Taliban seized control of her home region in northwest Pakistan. In the following year, the Taliban banned all girls from going to school. Malala began blogging for the BBC about life under the Taliban and her desire to, run, to return to school. And eventually, she and her family were forced to flee their home as the Pakistani army returned to the area to fight off the Taliban. The National Army was successful, but the Taliban still controlled many rural areas, and Malala continued her very public fight for educational rights, and in 2012, when she was just 15, a masked gunman boarded her school bus and shot her in the head. But she survived, and along with her family, she moved to England, where she returned to school in 2013 and continued her advocacy for girls' rights to education. And in 2014, at the age of 17, still a child by definition in most courts of law, Malala became the youngest winner of the Nobel Peace Prize. And when the children come unto us and we allow them to speak and to lead, the world can change. And I wonder if my fear of listening to children comes because children will tell you the truth. When your breath smells too much like coffee, when your beard becomes too scratchy, when your tone gets a little too aggressive. But if we shut children out, then we shut out God. Because not only does Jesus love the little children, God came to the world as a child. So don't ever underestimate the children because the one that saved the world reminds us that it will never be the same. And yet, we argue about greatness. We argue about what makes us great. It's not gone away since the disciples were arguing about it on the road. Sometimes we celebrate those who are the greatest. Muhammad Ali's signature boast, I am the greatest. The best known slogan of the 2016 election, make America great again. We continue to discuss and debate what greatness looks like. And Jesus places a child in the midst and says, whoever wants to be great must welcome the children. Perhaps the boasting of greatness comes in the form 
of who spent the most time with Jesus, who had the most access to Christ, or maybe which one had seen the greatest miracle or even performed the greatest miracle. We are not exactly sure what prompted this boasting and greatness, but what we do know is that Jesus is not impressed. And so he tells them, whoever wants to be the greatest must be last and servant of all. And we have to rethink greatness. And though this isn't as sharp as a rebuke as Jesus offered Peter last week when he said, get behind me, Satan, it stings because it is definitely not what we have been taught about being great, but it's what Jesus teaches us about being great. And to drive this point home, he bends down and picks up a child and tells him, tells us that whoever welcomes a child like this welcomes him. And in the stillness, it moves from an oddity, from an absurdity, to just being kind of crazy. In the first century, when children were not accounted for or important, Jesus says, be like a child, dependent, vulnerable, powerless, asking for too much, wanting too much, be like a child. Come to God demanding for that glass of water at two o'clock in the morning because you know it's going to help you get back to sleep. Come to God asking for that second dessert even though you know you didn't deserve it by cleaning the green beans off your plate. Ask for the blessings of God because that's what counts as great when we become like a child and think to put aside our idea of greatness. Because we have to think about the reality that what if Jesus is right? We can't romanticize this story, but we have to actually think, what if Jesus meant become like a child, become great by becoming less? It would change the way that we interact with the world by celebrating celebrities and sports and TV shows that follow people around just in hopes of increasing their followers or their likes or becoming great by what they know or who they know. What kind of world would that be? I don't know but maybe it would be a pretty great world. The definition of greatness that Jesus offers seems crazy because it seems so completely unobtainable, so countercultural that it is career, financial, personal suicide to become like a child, to become vulnerable, to give up our influence of power. And yet Jesus says, if you want to become great, you must welcome the children. And it offers us a hope. Because as the world argues about greatness, as we argue about greatness, about who has done the most or seen the most or become closest to Christ, it offers us a mode of thinking as a church. Because instead of measuring our success by numbers or greatness or how the music from the band seem to quiet as the service go on or as who controls the parking spots in Sandy Springs... And all those little things that we think make us great, when we become like a child and are utterly dependent upon God, our success is measured in a different way. And that's the way that God sees us. So why not live into our best childlike aspirations? 
not by the influence that we wield, but by the service that we offer. Not by accumulating more, but by sharing what we already have. Not by being first, but by being eager to work hard in order to see others move ahead of us. We all need to create space in our lives. And we all create space in our lives, but we also must ask ourselves, for whom are we creating this space? Is it for us now? Is it for the future? Is it to make room for the voices of the children and the youth today? Or is it to control what we have in the present? We ask ourselves, what must we do to become great? And Jesus places a child in their midst. Through this church, we welcome children. Through its ministries and its programs, through feeding 200 children who are on free or reduced lunch through our backpack program, through the kids in the preschool or the sports activities, through keeping families together in family promise, whether it's being present on Sunday morning for Sunday school and children's church during worship, we create space for children because we see ourselves as the children are. What does it mean to be the greatest? Isaiah says, the lion shall lie down with the lamb. The serpent shall be in the hands of the infant. And a little child shall lead them. Thanks be to God that our world was changed not through some triumphant entry into Jerusalem, but by the birth of of a child who would change the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are all God's children. And as we go out into this world, I give you the challenge and the hope to rediscover that childlike faith. And maybe go with this message to remind you that you are just a child, and we all need room for God. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sandy Springs United Methodist Church Podcast. We hope that you have found our podcast helpful and hope to be in ministry not only to you, but with you. For more information about Sandy Springs United Methodist Church, please visit www.ssumc.org. Until next time, may God bless you.